how to press buttons, and Ben tells me how to press buttons. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's all it's all the buzz coming from Final Battle. <laughs> that should be the whole, if we can't record anything, that should just be what it is. The three seconds of you saying that the buzz is Final Battle, then it just it buzzes out. <laughs> Join the swarm of Final Battle 2011. Exactly. <laughs> Hey everyone, this date is very early morning, December 27th, 2011. You are listening to Free Admission on the all-new freeadmissionfr.com and also on iTunes, and we are back for a not-so-new concept as we had mentioned previously, but back nonetheless to discuss the 2011, the 9th edition of Ring of Honor's Final Battle, which emanated Friday night from the Hammerstein Ballroom of the Manhattan Center in New York City. I am Ben Turpin, joined on the line at this time by two fine gentlemen, First, better known as P.O.D. Johnny Ringo on Twitter. Mark Smith, how's it going, man? It's been a little while since we've uh, heard your voice. Yeah, it's uh, been a rough go of it trying to get me back on free admission. Every time we get on, there's uh, extenuating circumstances that end up that we uh, just record dark audio that no one uh, gets to hear. But uh, hopefully this time, uh, people are going to hear this. You know, I'm hoping for it. And uh, we're also joined on the line at this time, uh, better known on Twitter as I underscore am underscore Hollywood, J.P. Nichols. J.P., how you doing? Doing pretty good, Ben. Uh, glad to be on here to talk about uh, absolutely uh, buzz of a show that is Final Battle 2011. <sighs> and if only people knew the circumstances that it took us to start recording this show. Um, but yes, Final Battle, the biggest show of the year, has come and gone, and all I can say is thank God we waited until tonight to do this show because we would have been completely exhausted, uh, to say the least, after the show on Friday night. Uh, I think in many ways you could draw parallels between this show and, like, Final Battle 2009. I thought it had a great first half, or a very good first half, I think. The consensus match of the night on both of these shows was pre-intermission. And then in the second half, you had a Briscoe's title win. And then you also had, in many ways, a bizarre main event. But, uh, you know, obviously varying circumstances. But, yeah, a very good first half. And then an exhausting, in many ways, mind-bending second half. But, uh, Mark, you were in attendance for Final Battle 2009. You saw this one on iPay-Per-View. Would you maybe agree with that sentiment? Absolutely. Uh, uh, as we were discussing beforehand, we were saying, what, you, know, the final, you know, Final Battle and uh, everything else that the past matches we've had, you would take every single one of them over that, even Tyler and Aries. And I completely agree, but it, the parallels are almost like they, they tried to copy that show and say, we can do it right this time. But obviously, that wasn't their mentality. But yeah, it's completely fair to make that comparison. Uh, it's also quite funny how, actually, uh, uh, when you talk production issues with uh, Ring of Honor, usually everything stems back to Final Battle 2009. And then this also is probably probably the worst in terms of eye pay per views for production. Completely standard. 
and then not to mention the fact that really the highlight of the show involved Kevin Steen ending up uh, before intermission, just like how uh, Final Battle 2009, the infamous uh, Kevin Steen turning on Generico angles right before intermission. So you can have a lot of parallels throughout uh, both sh- both of those shows. And uh, I guess we'll break down the card match by match. Uh, opening up the show, the match that I was possibly most looking forward to on this card, Michael Elgin and TJP, the power versus speed. And it was my, on paper, my favorite match going in. I think it turned out to be my favorite match. JP, how'd you feel about this? I would have to agree in that it was probably my overall favorite match on the show. Like, I actually uh, missed watching the first two matches live just on account of I was driving uh, to watch uh, the show with a few friends and I was running a little late. So I missed out on watching this one live. But even with that said, what I got to see, um, even after uh, I had a few text messages over a couple of things that I did, I was still absolutely wowed by uh, a few of these sequences that uh, Perkins and Elgin managed to bust out. It's also pretty amazing to think that uh, I'm pretty sure this is the first time ever matched, too, and the the way that the two of them just completely meshed well together, you would think that they were like a uh, ricochet-Chuck Taylor combo, in a sense, in the sense that uh, everything they did was pretty much as perfect as you could possibly get. Uh, And actually, the... uh uh, the match time as well, I mean, like, it really uh, did not feel like it only went about seven and a half minutes, like, uh, based on the amount of action they put into it. But I thought it was, like, the best opener that Ring of Honor has had probably since, uh, I would say, Honor takes center stage night two when they had Future Shock and uh, Kings of Wrestling, at least for 2011, probably. Uh, I mean, as far as, like, best opening matches go. But uh, definitely probably would say this is my overall favorite match on the show. And Mark, thoughts on the match, and maybe what are they going to do with T- or both these guys moving forward? Uh, you know, really, I can only just echo what uh, JP said. I mean, the, the, some of the things that he was talking about, how it just odd, like he was in shock to see, like uh, Elgin catching TJP in a suplex and, like, uh, going for the powerbomb, and TJP will reverse it into, like, the reverse rod. Like, some of that stuff is... Like, it looked like they had rehearsed it, but, like, like over and over over years, like, it was so crisp. And, like, that's so refreshing to see in, like, a short match, as he said. But uh, um, I think it was also my favorite match uh, as a whole, and that's saying a lot for an opener. But, um, you know, I think going forward, Elgin is getting pushed towards the main event, as he should be. Uh, maybe a little early, but I, I think his progression to this point should have, you know, not been as steep as it was because he, he should have been right out of the gates when he first started showing up on television uh, with the first deal that he should have been one of the top guys booked, uh, I think at least, because he's just a beast. And uh, if TJP signs to a contract, I, I don't understand why he hasn't started to pick up wins here and there over big guys. And I mean, if you're pushing Elgin, you really can't get a, give, him a, you know, give TJP the win here. But uh, he didn't need it. And he really came off looking like he's, he, on his way up in, in Ring of Honor, and I hope they keep using him and he starts to pick up some key victories because there's a lot of matchups that haven't happened yet between uh, TJP and a lot of the roster that I would love to see. Tommaso Ciampa and Jimmy Rave uh, was the next match on the card. Uh, Jimmy Rave, of course, coming in as the former crown jewel of the Empathy against the supposed new. Uh, they tried to tell that story in this match by bringing out the jacket. I'm not particularly sure if the crowd bought into it or knew what was going on, but this was more of a match of kind of ultimately showcasing Jimmy Rave's run in Ring of Honor with the Hill Herc, uh, the uh, Rave Clash. 
uh, and a number of other different moves. Uh, and it was more about Jimmy Ray dominating Ciampa and Ciampa trying to come back. So an interesting story there. And then uh, JP, uh, talk about, I guess, the uh, the angle that they tried to play up at the end, which I'm not sure if it quite got over as uh, I would have hoped in New York City. Uh, 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 give me a fresh reminder on that, honestly, just yeah, because I actually, yeah, you didn't. I don't think you saw this match, probably. Yeah, they. Uh, oh, I, oh no, I saw. I saw about. I saw a good portion of it. Then the stream uh, crapped out on me, so I yeah, can't really. At the end of the match, Prince Nana essentially was, uh, you know, suggesting Jimmy Rave take the uh, jacket back and come back into the embassy, and uh, then that kind of played into the finish. But New York City didn't really seem to react to it at all. I mean. Yeah, I mean, well, that's just, I feel like, uh, the story with the uh, New York crowd in terms of the fact that the audience isn't really oriented to a lot of the storylines that go on in Ring of Honor, which is sort of ironic considering that they are, I mean, really the the market for Ring of Honor at this point. I mean, but uh, I don't know what it is, I mean, with the fan base, whether or not they just, uh, obviously they don't get the TV show, so, and I'm, there, I'm pretty certain that uh, none of them really keep up with it there. And so they really just uh, go based off of, um, you know, uh, whatever they decide. I mean, if any of them even watch the video wires is even in question. I mean, but uh, that's just been like an issue with Ring of Honor, I think, for like a couple of years now in terms of the audience aren't really into the storylines as much as like, say, uh, uh, Chikara audience, where obviously that's like the uh, prime example of an audience being into the storylines. And Mark, I think you could say that Maybe that was a precursor to the rest of the night in terms of the New York City crowd. I know that was something that was uh, kind of a big subject that we had mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to start to harp on it too much, but like when when Rave hit the uh, the Rave clash, like and like it, it, it was the fans all started chanting AJ Styles. Like it, it was obvious that they were a, a different kind of breed because. You know, the fans back then would have probably, you know, obviously it was weird because Ray's not playing heel now. And that kind of, like, shocked I mean, obviously I knew he was going to play face, but I still thought that the fans would give it to him uh, a little bit at least. And you could go back to 2009 when he came in when Cabana returned. And, uh, like, at least then the fans still booed him. They threw toilet paper. I know he was playing a heel, but they knew who he was at the very least. And, I mean, I counted maybe three rolls of toilet paper in the ring. And, you know... The, the jacket thing didn't get over at all, and it, like they were just waiting for the match to be over, almost like they were like, "Who?" You know, I've seen Jimmy Rave in TNA, and uh, this uh, Chopper guy is going to win, and regardless because he's doing whatever he's doing his undefeated streak, he hasn't lost yet, if that's the case. And it, it, it's hard to say that like you could give them a reason to care, but JP's point on that like it's been a while that New York City's really been on board with anything. I'd say the last thing that, that actually got over with them, and obviously now it's the steam thing, and that's the only thing that that makes any sense as to why the fans care, but you know, the last angle that they really gave a, a crap about was, you know, Danielson leaving, and well, what kind of angle is that to care about, you know? Yeah, I mean, actually, they uh, seemed relatively into, uh, I mean, you know, for, uh, I suppose, the standards, they seemed relatively into the Briscoes on that express double turn back at Manhattan Mayhem 4 at least, but really can't think of anything beyond uh, anything involving uh, Steen and Generico. And I feel like we're going to be talking about the crowd a little bit more uh, throughout the show as they were uh, maybe in circumstances of uh, not relevant or relevant. But uh, the next match on the card was the three-way elimination television title match, which had uh, been getting prominent build on television, uh, with Jay Lethal defending against El Generico and Mike Bennett. I felt like I was looking forward to this match more than most people uh, 
you know, on paper. I think it turned out to be a pretty good match, Mark. How do you feel? Yeah, uh, going into it, I didn't have uh, a lot of high standards for it because I just expected it to be good. And uh, I know that I'm probably uh, uh, with both of you when I say that I don't hate Mike Bennett as much as the regular internet wrestling fan does right now. I think he uh, has improved leaps and bounds and figured out his, his role in ROH. And he, 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 as long as he can work with someone who knows what they're doing, it's going to be a good match. And, uh, you know, that's what it was. It turned out to be a good match. Um, the fact that uh, Generico was eliminated first was no shock to me, but uh, I have another point to make about that after the show's over. But, um, you know, I think everything worked out well. It was a complete shock to see uh, Bennett not go over, though. And, you know, I think that probably was, you know, a little bit of unpredictability that added to the end. And uh, a very good match. And uh, the, another thing is we were starting about to talk about the crowd. Uh, when Jay Lethal was on offense, it wasn't let's go Lethal. It was fuck TNA. Like, oh, we're so cool. You must hate TNA because you don't work there anymore. Let's not change your name. Let's chant fuck TNA. Just like instead of fans cheering for whoever Cena's going against, it's let's go Cena. Cena sucks. So, it, it, you know, it's just kind of like the mainstream wrestling fan almost. Yep. JP, talk about the match a little bit, and then I also wanted to question you about Mike Bennett. If he actually does get good, and I feel like he's perfectly acceptable, but I feel like he's going to continue to grow into the role like he's done pretty much in every performance. Is he really ever going to have a chance at all? Um, I feel so. I mean, it, it really just sort of depends on the way the audience reacts to him because there's like, uh, I mean, for a long while now, I mean, there's been like no legitimate heel like, in terms of, like, someone who was really over as a heel, in terms of the fact that uh, fans would pay to go and boo uh, the person involved, uh, probably, I wouldn't say, maybe since, like, maybe Danielson or Nigel when they were champion. I mean, but, like, uh, I feel like if the audience were to get a bit more accustomed to him, he could probably end up being a success in terms of uh, the character that they're giving him if they decide to... Uh, go in that direction. Uh, match itself, I thought, uh, I mean, it just uh, really furthered my point over why, I, in my opinion, at least, El Generico is just, like, the overall best wrestler of the year, because, like, uh, he just, uh, as usual, went out there and did absolutely everything possible to uh, uh, make the fans happy over their price of admission, particularly in about the last five minutes, where he just uh, busted out a uh, vintage MLW Sanjay Dutt Double <laughs> double springboard sent on, and then his uh, usual through the ropes DDT. Uh, Bennett, I thought was okay. Maria, on the other hand, really added nothing to the match besides looking good. I would say, honestly, like uh, if not for the fact that uh, obviously she's, uh, I mean Bennett's girlfriend, but she really just added nothing to the match. And I thought that for the most part, she just looked disinterested to even be there. Um, Jay, and then the uh, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, Jay Lethal's still the TV champion, so it feels like he's maybe going to be stuck there for a little while. And then you have Mike Bennett, who feels like is eventually going to get there, and maybe it's now just going to prolong it a little longer, which seems to be the, a pattern all too familiar with Ring of Honor at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I felt like, I mean, um, if not for uh, what would happen with Generico later in the show, and then uh, obviously the result of the match, I felt like this would be the time to... Uh, get Lethal out of that role and maybe push him towards uh, Davey or at least towards the uh, world title contention to add a bit more of a, 
uh, fresh face uh, to uh, that uh, portion of the roster. But uh, having Bennett lose was, like, very questionable. I mean, it really only leaves, like, potentially, uh, I would say, Shiampa open to maybe win the TV title in the future if they do decide to not go with Bennett. Because really, I mean, in terms of, like, a uh, heel option, I mean, there isn't really a whole lot of other options there. And, and if they give up on Bennett, uh, sorry, if they if they decide to give up on Bennett right now, like oh well, he, we're done with this experiment. Like he he's not getting over. Uh, he's just getting uh, quote unquote X Pac heat. They are so stupid because he is just getting to the point where he's going to start growing into his own character. And if you notice during the match, there was not one you can't wrestle chant because they kept it interesting. They kept him being a heel on the outside. He'd slide in. He'd take out the faces and they go right back out. So they were smart about how they booked him, and then if he's going to lose in New York City, and then they put the belt on Ciampa, that's, that's completely foolish. And, and you know what? It's not out of the realm of possibility with them either. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, I really don't think that they will uh, give up on Bennett, just based off, like, interviews that, like, Cornette has uh, done as an example. I mean, just in terms of uh, they love the type of uh, uh, heat that he gets but it's just uh, very questionable and uh, yet another one of uh, ROH's tactics of uh, prolonging the eventual title win. The no-disqualification match with uh, Steve Carino and Kevin Steen. Jimmy Jacobs is the referee. If Steen won this match, uh, he would be back in Ring of Honor uh, as a full member of the roster. And uh, the most anticipated match in many ways. And I'm not sure if I... I never really thought about what kind of match they would have. Maybe I just, in my mind, expected more of a brawl-type match and then Steen would win. And instead, they ended up just having a completely brutal, violent war, Mark. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's the best way to put it. Um, I, I was able to like check out like, Steve Carino's tweets beforehand, and he was retweeting a lot of people that were saying that you know he should bring the blood and that he, he should show him the old ECW, uh, Steve Carino and stuff, and the king of old school. So I kind of expected that we would get a brawl and there'd be a few chairs in play and stuff like that, but... Uh, like to bring the guardrail into the ring and you have a, a contraption set up. I didn't expect that. Um, I, I, they just went crazy and it was such an entertaining match from start to finish. And just the little things to, that added to it were just wonderful. Like I, I think what really made the match so great for me was when Jacobs like makes the two count and like he just pauses and like, you know, Karina's dead and he just looks at, at Cornette and like it's taking forever for him to count three and 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 Steen's just staring at him in the face, and like he just counts three, and the, the whole place like goes nuts. And those are the moments that like you can't force upon a crowd. That's just something that comes naturally, and like that made me believe that ROH has somewhat of a future because if they can let that happen, like as a whole, that match, and let these guys go out there and just impress and finish their feud, uh, I, I'm all for it, and. I, uh, you know, maybe I, I can take away TJP and Elgin saying that I was, uh, you know, that was my favorite match out of the whole card because I just love this one so much too. But uh, it was different, and it was just like, uh, like what are these guys going to do to each other next? Uh, these guys really actually hate each other, and um, you know, I, I exceeded my expectations, and I, I, I'm very, you know, I'm very thrilled that it came off as well as it did. Um, with me, I mean, I really, really liked the match a lot, and I was really surprised by some of the things that they did, like, particularly the, uh, 
superplex spot on the guardrail I was uh, really cringing at because I just had the envisioning of them, one of them, like, just ending up uh, going on one of the little uh, horizontal spikes that were sticking out and, like, getting impaled. I was just, like, completely fearful of that. But there was uh, a lot of brutality in this match, to say at least. Probably, um, I mean, uh, quite honestly, the most uh, brutal singles match, obviously, for Ring of Honor since uh, Cena and Generico last year at Final Battle. Uh, that I would probably put that one above this one just because uh, I think really the one issue that I really had with this one, uh, and it's not to take anything away from the work because I really loved all the work they put in this match, but maybe it was just I never really felt like uh, the guys truly like hated each other. Like It didn't really come out in the match like uh, in ways that like Steen and Genericos have, you know, where like, uh, like the, uh, uh, to, uh, pardon the French here, but like the shit-talking that uh, Steen usually does towards Generico. Like, a, like, little things like that, but absolutely, like, the other little things that, like, uh, Mark mentioned, such as the counting uh, by Jacobs and being very hesitant on it, really helped add to the uh, story of the match. And it, um, while I called uh, Perkins and Elgin uh, my favorite match of the show, I would certainly say this was the best match of the show. And certainly uh, the reason to order the iPay-per-view is expected by... Uh, Many people that ordered it. And post-match, you had a Steen and Generico face-off, which probably garnered one of the bigger reactions of the entire night. And, uh, Mark, I guess I want to question you now with Steen moving on. And also, I should mention the Generico uh, injury angle. Kevin Steen delivers a package pile on Generico through the table. But uh, I feel like Jimmy Jacobs, who has a lot of depth in terms of what he's capable of as a character, has been kind of around since May. He hasn't been around a whole lot, but... You know, they've been on television now for two or three months, and maybe they were just waiting for this to get over. But maybe moving forward, what do you see for Steve Carino and Jimmy Jacobs? Um, you know, honestly, for Carino, I see him sticking around just as, uh, you know, a, a mid-card baby face. I do think that they will split up Jacobs into singles eventually. Uh, I would hope so. He's being underutilized. And, uh, you know, it's a shame because he really does have a lot to offer. But um, as for Carino, you know, it's a lot of different ways he could go now. I mean, he could, they could do anything they want with his character. And I, I hope he's not gone. I really do. Because he's, he's got a lot of knowledge in the ring. And honestly, he's not, he, he's definitely freshened up his moveset to where the point is that, you know, he knows that he can't move as fast as everybody else. But he's, he's having that time in Japan where he knows what gets over and stuff like that with this kind of crowd. Um, the one point I did want to make about uh, the Steen and Generico interaction was I found it very funny come the end of the show that uh, obviously we're happy we'll get to that later, but it's kind of funny how uh, ROH is almost pushing Kevin Steen as the top guy uh, you know, in the heel category when uh, you know, it was Final Battle 2010 and they had Generico beating Steen to have him leave the company, and now Generico is basically the lowest babyface on their totem pole. It's kind of funny to me how, you know, the tides have turned in the mind of ROH and, and what the, they think the fans want. JP, I know yeah, in many ways that doesn't make you too happy. Yeah, n- not at all. I mean, considering that uh, he's someone who really should be focused on in terms of a big uh, focal point for uh, the roster, considering, uh, like, really, I 
really would uh, can't really think of many other people that I would put above El Generico in terms of an overall wrestler. I mean, in terms of uh, people always talk about uh, you know Rey Mysterio as being the top underdog in uh, the wrestling business, but to me, I mean, like the way G- Generico is with his facial expressions, his huge connection with the audience, and obviously his fantastic wrestling ability. It's just like there, there's no reason for him to not be towards the top, and it's just stuck as a uh, mid-card act, so to speak. I mean, especially with the way that I really can't think of anyone that he's ever been paired with that he just had a match that did not work out. Like, he can just work with just about anybody and make absolutely everything fantastic. I mean, like, uh, I mean, when you look at, like, the type of tenure he's had in both uh, Chikara, I mean, for what appearances he had there, and then obviously PWG, he's been, like, the highlights of... uh, uh, well, at the very least, the highlight, one of the highlights for PWG, and uh, certainly a highlight from Chikara this year. And it's just really a shame that he's uh, seemingly going under the booking radar from Ring of Honor. Right, and in, in many ways, he's one of those guys, I like to draw parallels with Roderick Strong, where he's just kind of been around so long and so consistent every year that sometimes he can be overlooked. But really, he's probably one of the top, I mean, like every year, one of the top wrestlers of the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So a very strong first half, um, to say the least. And then, uh, you know, the second half, uh, I think there was a lot of issues, particularly in the final two matches, and I know we'll definitely get to those. But uh, it opened up with the gauntlet match for a future ROH World Tag Team title match. Um, I think this, uh, uh, Mark, talked a little bit about it. I think this probably failed uh, like, uh, or had a lot of the problems that most gauntlet matches have. But I thought there was a lot of highlights and, you know, good action throughout. Yeah, you know, uh, I actually thought this match was going to be, you know, better than it was. Uh, I had a higher, like, higher expectations that they would give each team uh, a little bit of time to shine. Uh, I was hoping, ultimately, that, you know, it, it wouldn't come down to being A and X and the Bucks, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the match did what it had to do. It was just a spot filler. Uh, Rex obviously having surgery on his knee now, so, you know, AMX had to be the last team. What's that? A 30-minute spot filler at that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it really didn't accomplish too much because uh, Coleman and Alexander impressed. I I thought they did real good. The Bravados, I mean, I think they look as crisp as ever. I I think they finally found what what it is that gets them over and, you know, uh, Coleman and Alexander being booked in New York City was absolutely happy. I was so thrilled for that because that gives us hope that you know you'll actually see them regularly in other places than down south where they're, they're local. But um, you know, it, it just didn't seem like it, it, it flowed at all. And then you had you know Future Shock coming in, and obviously the fans are are way into them, and it completely killed them off too. Uh, all and you know the Bucks are the Bucks. It was, I think it was an excuse to give the Bucks uh, a tag team title match. And at this point in the, sh- the show, I was thinking it was to be, you know, give an excuse to, to be a foil for uh, Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team, but, you know, things change. It, it was okay. Uh, certainly not something you want to come out of that intermission with, that's for sure. Yeah, I think they could have approached booking the final two a little differently and maybe booking A&X differently with Rhett Titus's injury. That's more bad luck. I think it was pretty predictable coming up to this point that these were going to be the final two teams but maybe you should have rearranged that. And not to mention that I think JP, Adam Cole, and Kyle O'Reilly just, you know, I mean, they they were in the middle of this match, so they weren't relevant at the end. You know, you have 
A and X who are going to be back hopefully within you know the later first quarter of next year. You have the Bucks, you have the Briscoes, you have Haas and Benjamin who are obviously going to get a rematch after uh, or multiple rematches, I'm sure. So, what do you see on the plans for uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly? Um, it's really tough. I mean, to say. Well, I mean, I suppose the uh, the uh, most uh, uh, easy answer is losing regularly at this point. <laughs> I mean, keeping up with uh, tradition over the last several months, but um. Uh, it would uh, it would be nice if they uh, decided to maybe uh, try to. I mean, uh, they obviously have like sparringly throughout the year. Try to uh, use them a bit more as singles guys. I mean, uh, in terms of like putting them in singles matches and whatnot. I mean, that would be uh, more for that in the sense of it would probably give up some new opportunities for the uh, for the two of them to have like showcase themselves as opposed to uh, like especially uh, in terms of the fact that. Like obviously they've wrestled the bravados several times. Uh, they can uh, do them in the Bucks again. They can do them in All Night Express again when they when All Night Express were healed. But really, I mean, it just feels like um, neither of them. I mean, well, they're both uh, in sort of a uh, state of limbo in terms of the way that they're being booked, and it's sort of hard to say. I mean, it like it sort of feels like they might be in that uh, position for a little bit, I mean, which is un- quite unfortunate considering uh, the two of them are uh, two of the, probably the finest of the uh, newer guys, I suppose, that they have on the roster, so to speak. I mean, but, um, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if they started to uh, receive a bit of a push, but I don't really see it happening, unfortunately, with the way that... Uh, you know, they sort of have the top of the division right now with the Briscoes, Bucks, and World's Greatest Tag Team and a bit of a triad. The gauntlet itself, as far as, like, I thought it was uh, sort of plotting for the most part. I mean, like, it wasn't, uh, I mean, I'm not entirely sure if I would say it was in the right position on the card, you know, for being the match coming out of intermission. I sort of actually envisioned it opening the show. But um, with the way Generico, or excuse me, Elgin and Perkins turned out, I think that was probably the better choice. But, um... The majority of the pairings I just saw were sort of there. I mean, the uh, uh, portion between all, uh, Future Shock and the Young Bucks I thought was certainly the highlight of it. Right. But the rest of them I just felt was like, you know, it was just sort of like uh, you were just waiting for the uh, uh, result of uh, Bucks ending up winning and whatnot. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a bad match or anything. It just wasn't really what I would have hoped for. I would say the booking of this match was completely by the book. Um, but Mark, uh, Future Shock, I feel like they're too good to break up, but I think there's maybe a story there to be told with maybe, you know, not breaking them up, but letting them go their separate ways and telling that story on TV to give them more singles matches. Yeah, I, I'm very pro and uh, con that because I, I've really thought about it in depth, and I've also thought about it with ANX too with Rhett's injury, that if when they come back and Rhett's, you know, completely healed, you just had Kenny turn on them. But, um, you know, honestly, I think Future Shock, it's very iffy. You could say that for the best, if you just have them do it amicably, um, they could definitely, you know, still, they could feud as competitors. And I've had my dream idea of, you know, Cole starting to train with Eddie at at Severn's camp, if they're going to really continue with that storyline. And that'll piss off O'Reilly. And then you could still have them team together, uh, but you don't have, you know, the, the... the tag team matches because they're not pushing them as a tag team right now. And if you at least build interest in them and maybe they don't split like Eddie and baby did, you know, maybe that'll be the difference between them. They, they, you know, they can figure it out, but these are all options to freshen them up. And I guarantee you that any option that we discuss here 
in this five-minute span on Future Shock has not even been brought to the forefront of anybody's uh, attention at, in the ROH, you know, in the actual management company, that they, they, they have no idea what they're doing. And that's what pisses me off when people start talking as if they know. Because they don't. They, they don't know what they're doing the next day with Eddie and Daisy. So how, how can you say that they, they know down the card uh, a tag team that's been discarded and put to the wayside, you know, oh, they're definitely going to do a storyline with them just to get them over. It, it, it's just, you know, it's a sad point, but I, I just don't think ROH cares about them anymore. And, and they're too talented for that, way too talented. I sort of feel like as well, in, ter- in, ter- in terms of the gauntlet as well, like uh, I really thought that the way that the match ended pretty much sucked. Honestly, like, obviously, they were really trying to sell the fact that uh, Titus's leg was hurt, but it's just, like, after the uh, one one spot that's worth mentioning from, actually, the uh, Future Shock uh, Bucks portion is the endless amount of butterfly suplexes that Kyle O'Reilly busted out, which I thought was one of the real highlights of the show overall. And it's just, like, after you get that, you get a bit of a lame ref stoppage to end what was already, you know, mentioned as a 30-minute gauntlet. It just sort of felt uh, uh, like a bit of a lame result to uh, something that really, I mean, in all honesty, probably should have come down to Future Shock and uh, the Bucks, considering that that's been like the pairing that they have really uh, tried to push as being like the Bucks' best opponents. And then it would have at least probably ended the match on a higher note, even if it would have... uh, Further, uh, and the quest to make All Night Express look pretty bad. And A&X is one of the most overacts, you know, in New York City. Um, I thought nobody really knew about this, like, rectitis leg injury, so maybe they were kind of caught off guard by it, and I think it made the finish worse, not only in front of the crowd, but I don't think a lot of people at home were familiar on the iPay-Per-View with it either. And that was really something that, like, completely happened in the Carolinas. The injury happened in the World's Greatest Tag Team Match, and then they really told the story in Carolina, and then... They tried to follow it up here, and I mean, I guess if you were listening to commentary, obviously they tried to explain it, but I'm not sure it, uh, it translated too well. And just, I mean, that's what I was talking about when I thought you could have booked this a lot differently. I mean, future stock still fell to the Young Bucks. You could have put them in the final two, so at least maybe you got a better finish and told the ANX story earlier in the match. But uh, next up, we had the Roderick Strong Invitational Challenge, uh, which there was a few names speculated, and one of them speculated was Chris Hero. I thought the highlight of this entire segment was the pop for Hero coming out. Uh, not much to say in terms of the match. Mark, I know uh, you probably were watching this with feelings that you didn't want to have. Yeah. Uh, it, it's clear that, you know, you're watching Hero wrestle in ROH, and I've been saying it for a long time that I felt that him and Claudio were, were way above anybody in ROH, and they deserved to be wrestling on a bigger stage where they could really showcase their talent. Um you know, Roderick having a, a open invitational, it, you know, you build it up off television too, and then it's Chris Hero, a, a guy who was in ROH, and then he comes back and is going to be occasional unless he decides that he's going to WWE for another, you know, whatever, another drug test or whatever it is that it is that he, he, he's not there in the first place. But he comes out, and I'm just going to come out and say it. I mean... He looks out of shape. He looks completely lost. He looks like he's a broken man. I mean, Ben, you pointed it out to me that he looked like he was broken, like he just had no interest. He's staring off into space. He had no interactions with the crowd. And that's something he has been doing since he got into ROH, was interacting with the crowd, regardless of what it is. And it just looked like he was there 
for a paycheck. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say that because I really like Hero, but he looked, he didn't look good, and it wasn't a good match. I mean, it was a fine match for Roderick and Hero, but I mean, I had a hard time keeping my eyes glued on the screen watching this because it was sad. It was quite sad, I say, because. Uh, you know, I think Hero should be moving on to bigger and better places, but then he comes back to ROH. And, uh, I mean, I've seen a few pictures of him working FUW, sitting on the mat, and he didn't look much better. But, you know, he he didn't look good. And as as a, for the pop that came out, uh, the first thing I squeezed was, if Chris Hero's back in ROH full-time as a babyface, I am all for this. And then after that, I kind of wanted to retract my statement. You know, I... I just didn't click for me, and, and maybe you know, maybe somebody else loved it. Some other people thought it was good for nostalgia. I, I think it was a waste, really. Um, I I would say probably one of the main positives about it uh, was the fact that when Hero came out, he was not accompanied by Shane Hagedorn. <laughs> that was already a fantastic positive. Who uh, actually was a point that we uh, had forgotten to mention in regards to uh, the scene. I'm pretty sure we were back to mention it on purpose, but go ahead. Oh, well, then do you want to keep it that way? No, you can go ahead. Oh, well, for those of you that happen to uh, keep in touch with the at Stina's Right Twitter, uh, it was revealed that the person behind it was indeed Shane Hagedorn, and uh, I'm pretty certain a colossal UG was let out on Twitter when that was uh, uh, put forth into the news world. Oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that until now. That That's pretty brutal. <laughs> so, it just broke the news for uh, Mark, and yeah, I would say that was pretty much the reaction. Uh, I, I can't really think of anyone else having a uh, positive reaction to that news, but uh, a note of uh, Hero, though, I would say uh, it was certain, it was just really weird, in a sense, to me, to even like just see Hero come out without Claudio more than anything. It's just like one of those things that, like, I mean, for the past two years, I mean, obviously they were teaming back in 2006 and whatnot, but, like, uh, it was just really weird to see him uh, come out, especially to Kings of Wrestling Music, without uh, Claudio at his side. But, uh, yeah, it was just... working anywhere that night. I'm sorry? Sarah? I'm Sarah Del Rey. I'm sure she wasn't working anywhere that night. Oh, yes, uh, well, of course. I mean, but, you know, uh, they don't really have much for her, of course. So can't. Well, the women of honor are coming back, so we have that to look forward to for the uh, third yeah. time. Yeah, comes back. We got Maria. Maria's a woman of honor. Oh yeah, of course. She yeah. got paid to do nothing. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah, stand around and look pretty. I mean, which if that was the whole reason for a paycheck, at least she succeeded in that regard. But if it was for anything else, it was certainly uh, not worth it. So, yeah. But as a match, um, to get back on track a little bit, I thought it was okay. I really hated the finish just because I didn't think it accomplished anything. And you know, really, the it was like the worst matter. sick kick ever. It was like a, a Roger gets hit some fantastic sick kicks in his day, and this was certainly on the bottom of the list in terms of those. Like, and you just never know if Hero's going to come back. I hate when you have one off and you do a screwy finish because, like, Truth Martini's never going to get any more heat. Roddy Strong's not going to get over anymore as a heel. So just give him a clean finish. But I, I, yep. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, well, it, it, he's going to be, uh, like, one of those members of the roster, much like uh, Rhino at this point, who's only had uh, two matches in Ring of Honor since debuting in June. And then, like, on the uh, roster page, I believe. Yep. 
I mean, <laughs> so he might be in uh, that title position. Okay, the next two matches. I feel like we could do a podcast. Oh. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, wow, you're really setting the stage there. I hope nobody's disappointed. <laughs> Uh, these two matches, we could do a podcast on either alone. Uh, the tag team title match, and really, the show weighed on these two matches, I think, for a lot of people because they just didn't have interest in them. So it was kind of like, well, the intercard is going to be pretty good, and then it's like, well, what are we going to get out of these two matches? And what we got was interesting to be nice, yes. but <laughs> the Briscoes uh, did win the tag titles from Haas and Benjamin. Uh, this match, Mark, I'm just going to let you kind of talk about it. Oh, God. How do you leave it to me, of all people? You leave it to me to start off and just talk about this match. Okay, I'll try to stay positive. Um, the Briscoes look good. Um, they, they, they look like they were getting dragged down by two people in this match who clearly don't belong in Ring of Honor. Um, there is a person on said team that cannot perform a leapfrog over his own partner. Um... Nigel's commentary was good. I thought I that just, Nigel was the highlight of, the, of these two uh, matches. Absolutely. Uh, I that's agree. actually Kevin Kelly. I mean, I felt left a bit to be desired, but uh, I know Nigel's earned a lot of criticisms for the TV show. I personally can't judge, but I thought that he was the highlight of both of these matches, which goes to show the uh, type of structure that both these matches had. And the fact that he kept saying, put your hands up, Jay. Oh, God. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Don't take the chair shot to the head. I did that, and I can't work anymore. You know? Like, it's like, come on. Like, I, I was getting sick of this by that point. And then, like, when, like, we'll get to it in the main event. You get it that later. But, like, Nigel was great, and then all of a sudden, every time there's a chair and something's like, put your hands up, Jay. Oh, he just got hit in the head with the chair. I used to do that. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, yep. like, he can't put his hands up. He's fucking, like, half unconscious. But... Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Nigel was definitely a highlight. I'll even say Kevin Kelly was better than World's Greatest Tag Team was wrestling. Uh, he did nothing in the match. He just spoke, and I think he was more of a highlight. Um, now, I have a question to pose to you. I think I asked it to Ben. Do you think that, honestly, that they were trying to turn Haas and Benjamin, that Haas and Benjamin were frustrated, or that it was just an audible in the middle of the match saying, well, it's not going where we're going, and, you know, this obviously this uh, jump off of the ball outside isn't getting over with the crowd. Um, should we just have Haas start flipping people off and saying, fuck you to everybody? That's what I want to ask you guys. Do you think this was planned? Do you think that it was just frustration, or was it an audible? Well, when I first... When, I, when we got to the Shelton injury angle, which is rarely where I think a lot of people got confused with this match, uh, I think a lot of people hated the match by that point because the pre-match uh, brawl went way too long. I mean, it was like 10 minutes going on 10 hours, to say the least. But um, I gave them credit for maybe playing up to NYC or maybe doing a double turn. And there's a lot of things that would say, hey, this was supposed to be a double turn. You had the Briscoes promo that was online. They were coming out. They were throwing hands up to the fans. So these guys were the clear faces, and they were over. Uh, and then, you know, so I give them credit, and I actually liked it, but then you had the Shelton-Benjamin injury angle in the middle of the match, and JP, I know that's just when uh, the match totally turned bizarre, at least for me. Um, I would say that uh, it was certainly not the intention, considering that, like, uh, for, like, as examples, like, uh, 
Kelly was like never really acknowledging any of the boos that our world's greatest tag team were uh, receiving. Not to mention uh, Shelton, in terms of uh, like uh, acting during the match, was uh, at not a single point uh, really uh, responding to the crowd. It was mainly all Haas, who I feel like was just responding to the response that he was receiving. And like actually, when you think about it, when you connect the match to best in the world. But the way that it started off, it really was in a way, it was supposed to be a uh, face act considering the way that the four-way tag at Best in the World was with the Briscoes attacking uh, World's Greatest Tag Team with the Chairs. This is supposed to be like a, uh, uh, you know, the uh, a comeback for World's Greatest Tag Team for the uh, uh, bashing that they received back then. But it just uh, went on far too long, especially... Uh, I mean, and in addition to uh, coming off of the angle that had uh, uh, that Cena Generico had done not too long prior, it just made it like very awkward situation. And then the way that the match ended up going, I mean, with the Briscoes being absolutely over for all the right reasons, and uh, World's Greatest Tag Team, even towards the beginning, they were getting like a few moves, but then it wasn't really until like as the match progressed that they really started getting a lot more moves, and that's when Haas responded to all of them. Yeah, and initially, I didn't think they got, like, substantial heat. I thought they were getting the worst kind of heat. Like, you kind of heard some boos at the beginning, and then you heard, like, smattering overrated chants. But, like, and then it did increase throughout the match, so I guess that's good in some aspects. But, Mark, I mean, this match. Yeah, it it, it was pointless. Um, all I wanted was the Briscoes to win. I think that's, that's what you hit on perfectly. The worst kind of heat is when the match has gone on too long, the fans want it to end, and they want the champions to lose at any cost. That's the worst kind of heat. When everything the Briscoes do is, okay, well, uh, you're going to win. It's not, oh, man, that was cool. And everything uh, Haas and Benjamin do, it turns into, oh, man, here we go, and they're just going to win again. And, oh, it's the Haas and Kane, wonderful. If they kept the titles, and I give ROH credit here, I will come completely give them credit here. If, if Haas and Benjamin retained the titles and got to the next New York City show, they would have gotten the title of Black Treatment, no doubt. Ten times worse, even. And at least Tyler was still working pretty well. They, they are a failed experiment, and New York City exposed them. And as much as I say that the crowd was stupid at times, they have moments like during Steam and, and during this match when they show you that they still kind of get what wrestling is and what good wrestling is. And it's not that pack mentality when, oh, well, this guy next to me is chanting T and they suck, so I guess I better because, you know, he's probably a real ROH fan. I've only been here for three months. You know, it, it, it's a different thing that, you know, you have to think about. But, um, yeah, uh, I think we talked way too long about this match as it is. Oh, well, there's I, one thing that... I was going to say, there was one thing that uh, is worth mentioning. I mean, in addition to, like, obviously the structure, one point I forgot to mention was the obvious Shelton being taken to the back and then coming back out being a clear babyface spot, which just further shows the... Uh, and then, it, and then it, was, uh, it was good for all the wrong reasons, like TNA. Yep, yep. And I'm sure the entire uh, TNA Impact uh, crew it approved this uh, segment and match. Oh, absolutely. And then... Uh, the, the real highlight of the match is when you look at, like, the acts that are over in Ring of Honor, you would certainly think that Steen is towards the top, but and probably number two uh, for the entire show was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which just goes to show the, how much of a success Hacksaw Jim Duggan has been throughout his entire wrestling tenure, considering that was per- personally the entire highlight of the match for me. Like, uh, anything that uh, involves USA chant, and uh, particularly if a hoe is added onto that, it automatically bumps up a uh, match a few notches in my book. And to, to close this, because uh, we do have to talk about the last match, and I know we're going to talk in length about that one as well. Mark, I want to ask you, and I know we've already done some kind of Ring of Honor bashing as a company already, but under the assumption that that was a face beatdown at the beginning uh, with, you know, Haas and Benjamin getting the revenge, what does that say about Ring of Honor in general? Just And I, I think I put it out on Twitter or something where I was talking about Ring of Honor can't possibly be dumb enough to not see Haas and Benjamin or see the reactions that they're getting because they are minimal everywhere or to see the types of reactions that they're getting online. Can they? Yeah, that's the question. They, they could completely ignore them, but I, that's why I was asking you guys, because I want to hear what you have to say, but my thoughts on it is they were playing that whole match, and like you said, you know, Benjamin coming out was a complete face move, complete face move. And when he left, I was like, this is going to get awful. He's gonna, they're they're going to retain. And this was still two days after the show happened, and I hadn't been, you know, spoiled yet. So I had no idea that this was going to happen. I see, oh, Benjamin's going to come out. He's going to do his... You know, his top rope thing, he's probably going to fuck it up, and the match is going to be completely ruined. But, like, I would hope that ROH had better foresight than to say, this babyface thing is going to get them over real quick because they're being so violent. They threw them into the guardrails four times. Oh, boy, back body drop on the floor. You know, this is an ROH crowd, and if, if it's new fans in a market that has television, I could get that match going down. But... As it was, no way. Like, it's just a shame. Also, really, I mean, like, if the goal behind it was to turn, I mean, help turn World's Greatest Tag Team heel, which clearly it wasn't, it would have made more sense for the World's Greatest Tag Team to retain, honestly, if only to, so they could be even more over as heels, truthfully. You know, it's just like, uh, when it comes to the Briscoes, I mean, like, I absolutely love the Briscoes right now. Like, they're probably, in terms of character, they're probably at their absolute best right now. I mean, I'd probably go as far as say that, but it's just like, when it comes to them uh, holding the tag team titles, it's just sort of hard to get into it after uh, being used to it for so long. I mean, that's just sort of my opinion, at least. I mean, I know, Mark, you might feel differently on that. Well, I I only wanted them to be champions because it was, uh, you know, what what do you want? You want to get Haas and Benjamin to retain and they have the titles, or at the very least you have ROH Tag Team Champions to be proud of, and if they get put against Future Shock or Young Buck, they're going to have a, a four-star match on your hands there, possibly. And, uh, you know, I, I was against it because it's seven times, and they, as a team, I would have said they don't need the belts anymore, but... um you know, at the very least, it, this match really didn't matter who had the belts after. Uh, I, I mean, it did in the sense that if Haas uh, and Benjamin had beaten the Briscoes, the Briscoes would have been out of the, the title picture for a little bit. But um, I, I expected Wrestler's Greatest Tag Team to be in the, the world tag title picture for the next few months as it is, uh, regardless if they won or lost. If they won, they would have had the titles. They would have been in it. And they have their rematch, which you're probably going to get it in uh, Miami. So... Have fun with that, guys. Three months. Uh, <laughs> I was going to actually uh, ask you, when are they going to do the rematch? Are we going to have to wait three uh, months and get three might, months of build on television? I mean, might need to bring uh, an air mattress uh, for that one so I can take a nap. Yeah. 
It's going to be Atlanta. It has to be. If they do that in New York City again, oh, well, then then my assumption and Ben's assumption that we said as complete troll comments that Jim Cornette wants to kill New York City as a venue would be true. That would be true. That's how I would know if they run that match again in New York City as the rematch and 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 Hawkins and Benjamin win. Maybe they can run two out of three falls so they can make. Oh my God. Over oh, two-night span, please. Please give us a two-night show, a uh, uh, double shot in New York City, and then we get two, two out of three falls matches between the two of them. That's what I want. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if that match ends up happening, we can definitely guarantee that they take ideas from here. <laughs> but, but realistically, what do you see happening at the 10th anniversary show? Because I feel like they're really on the verge, and I mean, I know we talked about the crowd, cause, and I think I made the comment on Twitter that the crowd has really turned in from I think the heat in the Grand Ballroom is obviously better than it is in the Manha- uh, in the Hammerstein, but it's gone from like you know you still get the goofball chance, but there's very little originality, and that used to that's why I used to like not mind New York City because for every crap chant you got or mainstream chant you got you got like five good ones, and that just isn't really happening anymore. And I feel like between Best in the World and Death Before Dishonor in this card, even though I thought they were pretty good efforts and, like, the best effort that maybe Ring of Honor could put forward in some ways, I feel like maybe New York City is in a little bit of trouble. I don't know. And then what are they going to do at the 10th anniversary as well? And then moving forward, I don't know. I mean, I actually have a world title match in mind for the 10th anniversary, but I'll save that until we're uh, done with the main event. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll... We'll move forward, and then we'll talk a little bit about move, uh, 2012 and moving forward after the main event. But So, uh, at least I feel like with the tag title match, well, I guess I should introduce the match first. It was the ROH World title match, Davey Richards versus Eddie Edwards three. Eddie with uh, Dan Severn, Davey Richards with uh, Team Ambition or Team Richards or whatever they're calling themselves. Um, at least with the previous, and this was the third encounter, obviously, the big rematch from the previous, uh, or one of the previous New York City shows in June, uh, which I thought was a mistake, too, to book the match in the same city back-to-back, and we can talk about that as well uh, later on. But uh, at least I'll say for the previous match, in the wrong ways, it got some reaction. This match, Mark, no reaction, uh, you know, excluding the first two minutes, I thought. And I mean, yeah. That, uh, that's, you know, that's, of course, with all the other problems, but... Yeah, well, well obviously the other problems can come later, but... Uh, the, 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 that's put into words without giving away every single rant that I'm sure all of us have lined up. This match, if you had to define it in words, would be a bunch of cool things with nothing in between them to link them to one another. Zero. Nothing. No story. No, no, no thought. Just a bunch of things and then forearms and elbows and kicks and, and headlocks and this submission counted by that. There were a lot of cool things in this match, but the crowd completely died between them, completely. And that just shows when they know that the first 20 minutes of this match, nothing matters, not a single thing, because it went 35 last time. They're not going to end it in 20. The unpredictability factor was completely gone, and the fans just didn't buy a second of it. And, and JP, uh, I know in many ways you weren't a big fan of the first match, so I can't imagine uh, you, you weren't too in love with this one either. The first match, I mean, I it's, I really haven't watched it since uh, it aired. I mean, I, okay, I know a lot of people. Watch it again, and I won't blame you. 
Oh, I was going to say, I know a lot of people were in love with it and thought it was like the best uh, TV match for Ring of Honor that year, but I just had a lot of issues with it myself. Uh, I'll note the reaction to get in uh, a good impact joke on here. Much like the uh, TNA reaction show, the reaction in this match was indeed canceled uh, because <laughs> it just was not drawing any heat whatsoever. I mean, it was just... which. I feel like, in all honesty, I mean, to somewhat defend the match, I mean, after, I mean, the, at, up to this point, the show had been on for about three and a half hours by the time that this match had started, or close to it. So you already have that going against it, in addition to the fact that, obviously, this match had, like, absolutely no real uh, emotional investment in any sense. I mean, that was all put into the uh, last one due to the fact that it was... Uh, all talking about how, uh, you know, it's going to be Davies' uh, big chance. And in terms of the structure of the match, like, it was just, like, the uh, first 20 minutes or so was just, like, as Mark put, completely pointless. Uh, uh, the big things they did, I felt, were uh, less lesser than uh, what they did at Best in the World. Like, as an example, you know, even even if you, uh, uh, depending on how you feel about, of course, Davy Richards, Eddie Edwards' matches in 2011, like, at the very least, like, they did a... Uh, a lot more, I thought, killer stuff in the last match, such as the uh, double stomp uh, through the table on the outside, just to name one thing. And, like, everything here, at least, felt like it just had absolutely no real structure at all just because of, uh, you know, it just was all over the place. I mean, where at the very least last time, uh, you had uh, Eddie pushing forth how, you know, he just was not willing to hold back or not wanting Davy to hold back towards him. And then nothing was really advanced here in terms of the character work. But one main thing that I really have to touch on, uh, during intermission, they actually played a video for this match, you know, to further hype it up. Sure. And one of the main things that they covered was uh, how Eddie was uh, in the gym training, learning the Dragon Sleeper. And at one of the pitiful, uh, quote-unquote, pivotal points, of this match towards the end, he finally locked it in to absolutely zero response from the crowd. And not only that, but Davey transitioned it out of, as if it were simply a side headlock. I mean, it was just, you know, made like uh, all this build that they had done for it was just completely thrown to waste <laughs> in everything. And Mark, I mean, and JP, I know you touched on Mark. I was just going to question him. I mean, they had a story coming into this match. You had Severn. You had the dissension between the Wolves. You had the Dragon Sleeper. And much like you said, the first 20 of this ma- minutes of this match didn't matter. Well, none of that mattered either. No, exactly. You, you, you're paying Dan Severn to be on the outside of the ring. And all he does throughout the whole match is stand there. They cut to him every so often. And then later on, he, he plays a part in the interference with, of Roderick Strong and, and Truth Martini. And why was Roderick there? He comes out, and then, oh, guess what? Time for him to leave right away, and Dan Severn chases him away. But, you know, he's got to take Truth Martini with him, obviously. And he, you could have at least had Eddie go out there, ask for advice, or, you know, Severn starts yelling at him to do the Dragon Sleeper or you know, do something else, and he's able to counter out. Because in the video it says that, you know, Eddie has learned a lot of ways to transition out of uh, moves that Davey does to him. Um, you know, how, how do you get that stuff over in a video package and then completely forget about it when it comes time to put the match together? Like, that blows my mind. That's just overthinking and saying what will cater to this crowd. 
and they completely missed the mark. And then not to mention the fact, in terms of the way that the match was worked, in terms of a lot of the things like not really mattering as the match progressed, like uh, as an example, when they did the superplex roll through and then a suplex over the rope spot, which garnered absolutely no reaction, like not to come across like the absolutely huge PWG fanboy that I am, but like when you take a match that, uh, like Future Shock and Young Bucks in that show, and you have, like, as an example, the super kick sequence that uh, yeah, is very well known for the Young Bucks and uh, pretty much everywhere that they are at this point. And when you have the audience reacting to every single kick that they put forth or the uh, their opposing team also puts forth, that's when you know that that type of thing will at least work. In this case, they went through chopping sequences, slapping sequences, uh, even a sequence of exchanging, like, several backdrop drivers one after the other, and none of this got a reaction whatsoever. And they did it multiple times. They did two yeah. one counts on the floor, which I don't think I've ever... Well, I just found that one after the other. I mean, although that tied into the finish. And we're going to talk about the finish. But, you know, you mentioned PWG, JP, and I know you mentioned this on Twitter, but a lot or a couple of people that I know will talk about how there's a perception issue with Davey Richards when it comes to him and Ring of Honor and then him maybe in some other places. But when you have a 35-minute match in June and you have this match went 41 minutes, and most Davey Richards matches in Ring of Honor, same for Eddie Edwards, where they get a lot, a lot of time. It goes without saying that there's something to be said for seeing Davey Richards in moderation, and we get to see that in PWG. So when he's having an 18-minute match with Willie Mack, and he still has the same kind of match that he's having in Ring of Honor, there's a big difference. And Dave Meltzer, who I will name drop, mentioned this match had total nonstop action, the one at Final Battle. And it's I think it's a lot more acceptable if you're going to have an 18-minute total nonstop action match or nonstop action match than a 41-minute. And I think that's just what drowned everybody more than anything else. And they knew they were going to go long, which was already which had already been mentioned. So yeah, I mean, Davy Richards in moderation, whether it's PWG, New Japan, uh, and those are really the only places you get to see him work at this point. So. And that, I mean, it's also I mean, uh, in, in terms of just like. Um, as well, I, I wouldn't say uh, one positive if I could really come up with anything about the match. I mean, I already mentioned Nigel's commentary, which I thought was really on point for this match. But uh, I will say that the, even though the crowd absolutely did not respond to it at all, I thought that they did uh, uh, did do an okay job in, tr- in terms of trying to get uh, Edwards more over as a sympathetic baby face, which I feel he really is good at, but it's just... Obviously, the crowd, of course, I mean, due to being exhausted and maybe as well not being interested in the match until, of course, the last five minutes where they did the obligated, this is awesome, this is wrestling, etc. Um, like, it just really did not connect with them at all, and I just felt like the entire match as a whole is just, like, largely an insult to intelligence. And, Mark, I mean, and both you guys, I know that, you know, and really, I don't think it matters. I mean, this match had a lot of issues, and I think the finish is really not a big one compared to some of the other stuff because by the finish, who really cares anyways? Yep. But if there's one thing that I've been complaining and whining about when it comes to Ring of Honor, since, and it's happened in the summer and in the fall, is with these finishes with Davey Richards and the kick to the face. I just, like, I get it. And you talk about Eddie Edwards being a sympathetic, you know, baby face, which is good for him. It works. Um, but... And the idea is that he's just going to keep kicking him until he's down. It makes maybe his opponent look strong because, you know, he took all this offense and then 
you know, all it took was one more kick to the face and that was the finish. But what exactly, Mark, are you trying to accomplish when you do that? I mean, I know I just gave the reasons why you may, maybe there are other reasons, but like you're just asking, and I know me and JP have talked about this, 2011, the home of the anticlimactic finishes. And you're just asking for that every time you do these kick to the faces. They did it in June. They did one kick to the face. I knew that we were going to get multiple ones here. And JP, I know you made a comment to me, but Mark, just talk about these finishes in general and how maybe, like, I just feel like this is a case where they're trying to do these finishes. I don't know why. I'm trying to find reasons, but it's not using pro wrestling aspects to your advantage in a match where a lot of people feel like, you know, maybe it's like MMA-centered or Japanese or shoot style. And that's exactly it. Um, You know, I I hate to harp on it, but it really feels like this match was styled after Japanese shoot like you said, uh, a strong style that, like, the fans should believe that these guys could keep kicking the hell out of each other. And if they're going for an MMA style, MMA matches don't go 41 minutes when the guys are kicking each other in the head like this. And that's what sickens me, is that people are going to bitch and moan and cry about all the chair shots to the head. But Baby and Eddie are going to stop the shit out of each other's faces. I mean, I hate to, to get so passionate and so pissed off about it. But they're kicking each other in the freaking head over and over again. They're dropping each other on the, each other's head. Avalanche dragon suplex. Uh, dragon suplex on the apron. Uh, I don't remember exactly what suplex it was that he did off the apron to the floor. Um, they're doing, oh, they're trading tiger suplexes and dragon suplexes in the ring. Uh, let's just stand up and, and keep doing this. Oh, my favorite part. Backdrop drivers over and over again. Back to back to back to back. Oh, you did one, I'll do one. Now you do one, and then I'll do one. It just was like, I've seen so many people say it, and I can't avoid it. It was a parody of a wrestling match. It was like, they said, what do people expect of Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards? Well, let's give them 5% more of what they expect. Let's give them a little bit more Eddie and Davey dough selling. And I can't think of it. When you think like that as, as the ROH world title main event, and that's what you're thinking of, that it's a parody, and people are still chanting. I mean, I've heard, heard people that say they did too much, uh, it was stupid, uh, a lot of the stuff didn't come over well. Four stars. How? You know? How? How is that four stars? That means the match was a dud. I can't, I'm not going to rate it in stars because I think it's retarded. And I, I hate to say retarded, but it absolutely is. It, I only do it to give somebody a general idea of what I liked of the match. But that was not even close to four stars. If I had a rating, it would be one star, maybe less, because it did nothing for either guy. All it did is, was thank God it went on the main event, because if that was, you know, pre-intermission on, on one of, you know, like how they did with Roderick and Homicide, you know, obviously they wouldn't have because it was such a big thing, but it would have killed everything for everybody else. 41 minutes of kicking out of everything, except for three kicks in the face, and a, and a back spin kick. Oh, boy. Like, seriously. And you can, you can define good or bad as whatever it is. I, I, I really, and that's where I'm at with this match. Like, I don't know to say if it was bad or good. I know I disliked it, but other than that, and JP, final thoughts on the match, and then I wanted to make a comment uh, in terms of kind of the icing on the cake when it comes to Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards, and Roderick Strong in the entire year of 2011. Uh, it was like, we know we gave you guys 30, 35 minutes, minutes all year with these three, and then we're just going to give you this last finale. And 
something I never complain about is lack of selling or overdoing it, but this match absolutely brought that times more than I can even count. So, final thoughts, JP, on this match? I mean, when it comes to bad matches, like, I, I mean, I, I enjoy my fair share of watching bad wrestling just because I get a good kick out of it. Like, uh, like there's a fair share of, like, short, uh, like, bad pay-per-view matches that I can watch and get a kick out of, but there's nothing that annoys me more than when there's a, in my opinion, a very, very bad pay-per-view match that typically really insults my intelligence to the point that, and it just goes on forever. Like, actually, the uh, the first match that comes to mind, I know probably most people forgotten about it. Thankfully for them, unfortunately, it's still etched into my brain. Is uh, like Cena and Miz from Over the Limit, the I Quit match, where Miz killed Cena the entire match, and it's like, oh, we're restarting it, and Cena killed him in two minutes. Like that one has stuck out with me. It's like, in my opinion, one of the worst matches of the year. And in the case of, like, everything that went down with this one, I mean, it's really, I mean, like, I really hate to say, especially when you consider the final battle main events that we've gotten in the past, like, uh, such as Danielson versus Morishima, you've gotten Homicide versus Danielson, you've gotten Aries versus Joe, you've gotten Loki versus Kenta. I mean, like, these are all coming from final battles that have all taken place around this time period years ago. And then... Obviously, the one uh, polarizing one of them all is uh, Tyler and Aries from two years ago. And I would honestly probably say I would take that match over this one, if only for the fact that at least uh, when you talk about the New York crowd, at least they were responding in a way that was actually truly hysterical for a match that they really just poorly put together all around. And then at the very least, when it comes to that match, the last, I would say, third to maybe quarter of it was actually really well done, even though they would go on to perfect that at the 8th anniversary show. But, like, with this match, I just... I really, It's really hard to describe, just, like, I, I don't know who's to blame for why this really went wrong in all the ways that it did, but I just... I, I could name so many main events from Ring of Honor this year alone that I probably would put well over this match. And, like, probably, I, I'd stress to think of any that I would even put uh, below this. And, honestly, considering the, I was just going to say, considering the importance of this show, I would think that makes it even at a whole other low. And you touched on it, JP, but, Mark, and I know we discussed this, who is to blame for this? Is it Ring of Honor and the direction of the company? Is it Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards? Who's to kind of blame for this? I, uh, I, I can't honestly blame... Davey and Eddie, uh, without knowing that they sat down and they, they wrote out on a piece of paper what this match was going to be from start to finish. Uh, I don't know that. So if I could assume who told them to go 41 minutes, who told them was going over, uh, what the big spots were going to be, I completely blame Ring of Honor. And at the very least, you can always, if you can say they, maybe they didn't put the match together, then fine. Maybe they, that absolves them from, from blame, and I don't know the inner workings of ROH. But at the, bottom, at the very least, you know that they went from, this is our match in June, and we're going to prolong it until December. Try to do more, but not be in touch with our fan base, because we're going to book three title matches that nobody wants to see that nobody will pay pay for. Like, I, obviously, the crowd is there, 
but that's what JP and you guys were talking about with, with New York City. I, I don't think they'll ever kill off New York City as a crowd because I think people just go to go. I think they're there. I think that they, they're, if they can stick around after Tyler Mary's like I did, I, I think that they're pretty much set in. And I don't, I, I don't get what the crowd is doing now, if it's a new crowd or if it's an old crowd that's just jaded or if it's a bunch of followers that are just waiting for one person to start chanting stuff, and since they're at an indie show, it's a cool thing to do. Um, but they have no idea what they're booking in New York City anymore, at all. And it's completely killed it. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, I didn't attend Death Before Dishonor. Um, I didn't buy tickets for Final Battle for, uh, uh, you know, a different reason, but, you know, I wasn't intending on going beforehand anyway. And, you know... If I could be guaranteed that, you know, the 10-year anniversary is, anniversary is going to be a great show, I'd buy tickets. But, you know, for all I know, we're going to end up with Eddie, Baby, and Roddy in, in a three-way dance that's just going to give another defense for Davey. It's, it's going to be his, his third in the company in, in ROH, or fourth, right? I, I believe fourth now. Otherwise, yeah, it would be, be fourth. Yeah. And you know that they're not giving up on this into four defenses. And, right. and just, just I hate to say it, go to Wikipedia, look at the list of ROH champions, and go to the defense column and see Nigel McGinnis with 37, Brian Danielson with probably 36, Lowe Joe with the same amount, Davey Richards, four, since June, four. And, and what's been spectacular about any of those matches? One of, the, one of the last things I wanted to bring up, and you kind of touched on it, is the rematches in the same city. I kind of don't blame them because their main event scene is so dry, but you do Eddie and Davey for the second time in June, first time in New York City, and then it is still kind of the biggest match they have. It's the big rematch, and you come back to it in the same city. JP, how do you feel about doing rematches in the same city? I know that's something that, like, I've actually heard Booker's openly talk about how they tried to kind of avoid that sort of thing uh, because, or especially, you know, and it's been multiple times because, you know, Roddy and Eddie have had this, had the same match at Death of Bordis Honor, essentially. Uh, although, you know, maybe structured a little better, but how do you feel about that? Well, when you look at even past Death, uh, excuse me, uh, um, Best in the World, I mean, literally ever since Final Battles has involved the same three people in the same city. Because uh, Davey, I mean, he was not present at uh, Glory by Honor 9, but I mean, that was when Roderick won the belt against uh, Tyler. Then final battle in New York. Then it was uh, Roderick and Davey. Then in Manhattan Mayhem, it was Roderick and Eddie. Then at Best in the World, it was Davey and Eddie. Then at, uh, um, uh, at uh, Port of Honor, it was uh, Eddie and Roderick. Then here again, it is Davey and Eddie. So in all honesty, at this point, I mean, I would say that the uh, three-way prediction for... Uh, uh, 10th anniversary is honestly very high unless they uh, go with the uh, main event that I'm sort of hoping that they do, considering I don't think they will do it on iPay-Per-View, which uh, I'll just unveil now. I feel like Davey Kenta, if they decide to do uh, Noah Return leading into 2012, I mean, I feel like that would be my premier choice, at least. But, I mean, uh, being on topic, like, uh, it's just, it's really stagnant. I mean, what can you say? I mean, like... Uh, and this is what like, we were saying coming into the show. You know, these were all yeah. the problems about the stagnant issues with Ring of Honor and how 
maybe I can't really blame them because there's not a whole lot there. I mean, maybe I could blame them for not doing a better job up to this point to get people in the position to be at that spot on the card. But Well, let's like exactly like Tommaso Schiampo, just as an example, has literally been in the exact same position for his last year in the company. Like, no one in terms of the roster, I mean, besides Edwards, really, has grown at all in the last year in terms of moving up to, on the roster. And, and Ciampa gets some flack because he hasn't really done anything. The thing that he said is that there is still, I mean, they are still in a transition period into the television. But if you look at Ciampa, he's been in the company now over a year. And he's maybe been on a dozen shows, and it's been Homicide, Cabana, and Students. And I don't think that's yeah. going to do any favors for anybody. Right, Mark? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that's that's the problem, and I I believe I, I touched on it when I made uh, the predictions was that, you know, I was hoping that the match with Jimmy Wave would stir enough of the crowd out of you know oh Jimmy Wave's returning and he's going to come in and they 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 basically structured the match off that it looks like where Jimmy Wave is getting the best out of Ciampa the whole time, and then all of a sudden you know Ciampa turns it around and that's it. And if, if the crowd was over for Rave, I could see that being his biggest victory, regardless of Homicide and Cabana, just because of where they were at the time. I mean, Homicide, I, I remember the loyal ROH fans saying, oh, well, he's injured. That's why he's not as good as he was. You know, you can only say that for so long. And as much as I think that Cabana deserves a spot in ROH, if he was freshened up, he was completely dead by that time with Chapa, and nobody cared about him. It, the biggest pop that Cabana used to get was when, you know, he would come out and then during the match, you know, nobody would care. And that's a shame, but that's what he was. And I was hoping Jimmy Wave would be that, but if you look at it, it's a, it's a very interesting trend. You know, it's the old ROH stars that he's getting wins over and the students who, you know, say what you will about them. They're really nothing to write home about at all. And, you know, if he started getting wins over a... You know, if he was in the Bennett spot... Or at least having that, good matches. Exactly. Exactly. But he's not having the opportunity to, is what I'm trying to say as well. Well, yeah, and, and that's what I was eventually going to get to, uh, that if he, even if he didn't have his undefeated streak, if he was having good matches and still losing, or, you know, even if he lost a few matches but won a few key matches, he's in a completely better spot than saying, well... You know, guess what? He's facing Jimmy Wave. Jimmy Wave's a, a legend. Maybe he'll beat Ciampa. Nobody cares. Nobody bought the pay-per-view for that, and it's a complete miscarriage of, of what Ciampa is because I've seen him elsewhere, and he does have flashes of greatness, even in ROH. But, you know, you have to match him up with the right guy, and he just hasn't been put in that spot yet. And then also, in terms of the main event scene, like it's been said for months, how there's like a few guys that they could easily throw in uh, to help freshen it up a bit. I mean, like if they had taken the TV title off lethal, there's one. Jimmy Jacobs, there's another. Uh, if Jimmy Rave, even if they wanted to use him regularly and push him towards the main event, they could play off the fact that uh, Davies' debut in the company was against Rave and use that as a basis for a world title match. Um, even uh, Hero, if he were to come back. I mean, there's a lot of uh, names, and then, you know, push uh, Ciampa if they choose to. I mean, like, there's a lot of uh, possibilities, and they just seemingly... Uh, I can't really give a real reason as to why they are not going with any of these possibilities, but they just aren't. I don't know. Right. I can't really. 
And I think it would be okay if they were doing like a lot of these same top matches if they were cycling in other people. So maybe it was just a little bit more fresh. But when it's every show the same guys, that's where it really, that's where it really hurts, it, in my opinion. But to finish up on final battle, Kevin Steen <clears throat> did come out. Excuse me, did come out at the end of the show to save this uh, segment match and to save the show in general a little bit, and did proclaim that in 2012 he would be the or he would take. Davy Richards, Ring of Honor world title, and there was a lot of good uh, quotes there that uh, you could mention about the MMA jerk and uh, those sort of things. But uh, yeah, so I guess with Kevin Steen, uh, 2012, uh, I think we all hope that it happens sooner or later. Where do you when, when and how soon are they going to go to Kevin Steen and Davy Richards? Is it going to be final battle again? Is it going to be the summer? Are they going to go to it quick? And when they do go to it quick, Mark, are they going to give Steen the title immediately? Oh. Uh... That's a loaded question. Um, obviously, Kevin Steen is the hottest commodity they have, and I think you could take him to any market right now, and any and all the fans will cheer for him over Davey. Um, I think I made a comment on Twitter when the match was over that it's funny how Steen came out and and started making fun of Davey and Eddie, and he got a bigger reaction than anything they did during that entire match. Like, anything whatsoever. And, and that just was telling that a guy on a microphone, fake crying into it, can garner a reaction like that. And, and that should just tell you alone if you're sitting in the back. If you're watching the monitor and you're seeing this, that should tell you that Kevin Steen needs the ROH title yesterday. And therefore, if they rush it on to him, I think it would be a bad uh, bad move. I know that sounds very, very contradictory, but what I'm saying is that if they book it for the next New York City show, they they completely hot shot at the angle, and I I think they could honestly have Davy keep doing his matches and Steen keep coming out and antagonizing him, and you could actually build up this for at least a year. Um, as an impatient ROH fan. Would I like to see it happen in New York City on um, 10-year anniversary? Yes. Should it? No. Do I think it should happen in Atlanta? Uh, not Atlanta. Miami? No. Um, I think it would be good, but I, I I did argue that I don't think that would be where most of the fans would be. Um, I think a lot of people in New York City at this time have the pack mentality of some people are doing this or some people are chanting this. I have to be part of the crew Otherwise, they won't think I'm cool. I think that's ultimately the problem with New York City crowds now. And um, I think you bring in a different crowd when it comes to WrestleMania weekend, where you're, you're introduced to a product, and I, I don't ever think that a world title change is good on that time. Uh, Jerry Lynn was a different situation because it had to happen and Jerry Lynn was established. But um, if I had to say it, it doesn't have to happen in New York City. It just has to take time that the feud can build, and it's not just seeing his back and let's throw him to the, you know, to the American Wolf, and then let's see what happens. But he has to win the title the first time he faces Davy. No question about it. There, there can't be any other any other result. Truth be told, um, the time to do it would be if they were to go back to Toronto in the summer. Yeah, I. That's just my opinion. I mean, like. Uh, Especially, you know, for a return match uh, after uh, uh, the, I mean, after the last 
huge world title match that took place there, I would think that would be a great return if they decide to uh, go back there. I mean, but um, it, it really is something that I feel that they might attempt to tease Mania weekend, but it, it's sort of up in the air just based off the fact that who knows if they are going to uh, actually go forth with bringing in Noah names for uh, Mania weekend, which case it could be like... Uh, uh, ma- uh, 2008 Mania Weekend in terms of it's just a bunch of uh, super card matches essentially uh, for that particular weekend, but it remains to be seen because they really could, um, at least in Miami, push forth the idea of Steen going after Davey, like maybe potentially uh, he faces Eddie or something like that and then kills him to set up uh, the following iPay-Per-View uh, a couple months later, which I really do feel like, I mean, if, if there's any market that they should uh, do Steen and Davey in more than any, it's Toronto, just really because that would be the absolute <laughs> best way. If they were smart, if they were smart, they would go to Toronto and book that match. But I don't have very oh. much faith in that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, of course, they got to go to uh, New York, I mean, because uh, why not? Why, well, why, why to go to Cincinnati and Spartanburg and Greensboro and Norfolk and Pittsburgh? Honestly, I could honestly go on for 20 minutes about how, how stupid it is they're not booking t- Toronto. But, I mean, for, for real, it, even if you want to say this, you book that Eddie and Davey match in Toronto that we saw at Final Battle, and we may be talking about a completely different thing because if the second the crowd kicks in and starts caring, those guys could go into overdrive. And that's the thing. If those guys hear that the shit that they're doing and putting their body through isn't getting over... What's to keep them going for the next 35 minutes in a match when the first five minutes the crowd's already dead? You know, Toronto, I think, was the sole reason why Davey and Tyler were so good. I honestly think that match was headed for the shift, and that was going to be the end of Tyler. But then all of a sudden the crowd was so against Tyler and so for Davey, there was just this dynamic that it just made this match like a complete spectacle in the right way. You know, I say matches are spectacles, in two different ways. One, where you're watching it like, okay, uh, the Briscoes have Benjamin go to the back, and then he comes out with a, a piece of wood, he smacks it over Jay Briscoe, it turns into two two-by-fours, they both pick it up, the crowd chants, ho in USA. Like, that's a spectacle. And, like, then there's the opposite, where it's like Joe and Kobashi, where the crowd is just, like, in awe of everything they do. And that's a spectacle as well, in a good way. And there could be, you know, they could have totally stolen the show and just had, like, the passion and everything, but New York City just didn't want to buy into it. And, and that's ultimately, why I think, why the match flapped as bad as it did, besides of how poorly it was planned out. Yeah. JP, sorry to cut you off, but uh, final thoughts and maybe a follow-up on that. Uh, on uh, final thoughts on uh, uh, final battle as a whole? Or? Yes, just uh, our discussion in general. Um, like, uh, I mean, well, really, I mean, final, I mean, I, I will say this, I mean, you know, as for as much, fl- uh, flack as we've done on, uh, this particular show, mainly the second half, of course, for the price that they're offering it, I mean, at $15, I mean, it, it's really hard to, like, say that you are flat out not getting your money's worth, especially with the way that the first half was put on, but in terms of obviously comparing it to the standard that our weight shows have, uh, put forth in the past on iPay-Per-View. I mean, even for this year, 
alone, I mean, with best in the world, I mean, saying being a good show, both uh, WrestleMania weekend shows delivering, Death Before Dishonor being a good show. I mean, uh, it certainly, I felt, was probably below all the aforementioned ones, but, I mean, like, uh show itself, I mean, like, for first half is certainly worth the time. Uh, I mean, second half, depending on, uh, I suppose, the type of fan that you are, I mean, like, uh, the last two matches are certainly a spectacle. I mean, especially... Uh, in terms of, I mean, not to even, like, sound insulting in this sense, but, like, of uh, watching uh, many trained wrestlers go out there and uh, do the spots that they planned out in the back and really not have a plan for setting stuff up in the ring. <laughs> and, uh, Mark, your final thoughts uh, before we close the show. Yeah, um, I-, I feel like I'm going back to when I wrote my predictions when I, I basically clapped all over everything, and at the end I was like, but, you know, for $15, I'm sure it's going to be a good show, and you're going to get your money's worth, and it's ROH. It's always going to be an okay show. But that's the truth. I mean, for $15, it was a good show. Um, it better than, you know, better than Raw, better than Impact, maybe. Um, Impact really has, has kind of sets up their game lately. But, you know, as a whole, if you want wrestling, you got wrestling, and it's worth the $15, but... uh as an ROH fan from basically day one, uh, I can honestly say that this resembles nothing of that promotion. And um, I always try to make this comparison that just because it may be better than WWE or TNA, it doesn't mean that it was a good ROH show. It was a good show. But for ROH standards, the end of the year, its final battle, supposed to be the coup de grace, uh, it was a letdown overall. But that's just the ROH fan in me. That's and whatever. I, I'll argue my points till I'm dead. But you know, as as a whole, fifteen dollars worth. It was a good show. The guys worked very hard. I, I can't take that away from them. Um, I, I just don't have any faith in the people behind the scenes. That's all. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Uh, follow JP I underscore Am underscore Hollywood on Twitter. Follow Mark at POD Johnny Ringo. Follow myself at Ben Turpin. Uh, the site is freeadmissionfr.com. On Twitter at Free Admission FR. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We hope you had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We will talk to you again soon.